I came that they may have life and have it abundant. Let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. We're going to win by being the people that other people want to be around. Society wants guys who have an answer, guys who are committed, men who have a plan to make things better and go out and do it. You are listening to Night Vision. Hello and welcome to Night Vision, a multi-platform audio magazine presented by the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus designed to enrich, enlighten, educate, and entertain. On today's show, we examine strength, perseverance, and faith. First, he's the least quoted man in all of Scripture. Scott and Father Mick have a discussion about Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Next, Carl Kaiser introduces us to Our Lady of La Soleil. And finally, without a doubt, COVID-19 in the past 18 months have certainly taken a devastating toll on all of us. Now that there appears to be a light at the end of the tunnel, we try to put things in perspective. He was a man of action, the strong, silent type, the very model of fatherhood, and Jesus' earthly dad. Scott Schutte recently sat down with Knights of Columbus State Chaplain Father Mick Copel to talk about St. Joseph. Good afternoon, everyone. Today I'm joined with Father Mick, our State Chaplain. How are you doing, Father? Wonderful, Scott. How about yourself, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, So uh, our our June theme is uh, St. Joseph. It's been declared the year of St. Joseph by Pope Francis. And I know there's been a lot of talk about doing different things, uh, either consecrate yourself to St. Joseph or just extra prayers to St. Joseph or just kind of modeling him. And kind of wanted to talk with you this afternoon, just kind of get the feel for what all that kind of means. So uh, when I think about St. Joseph, there's, there's not a huge amount said about him in in the Bible. I don't know if it's in the Bible or if it's just tradition, but he's always been considered a carpenter. Right. I know that just what I was told in grade school is that he was older than Mary. It was kind of a betrothal where the families set up the marriage. If I remember correctly, he's from the line of David, which is was needed to to get meet the uh, prophecies about Jesus. Correct. So the references I, I remember for the Bible is that uh, the angel came to him and said, don't be afraid to marry Mary. Uh, it's a virgin birth and it's uh, it would be the honorable thing to do uh, to, to go ahead and marry her. There was a and I believe that came through a dream. Uh, there was a second dream angel that said, take your family to Egypt and escape the persecution that was going on from Herod, where they were killing the babies. He was there for the presentation of Jesus. And then, oh, I'm blanking on the last one now. The finding in the temple. The finding in the temple, yes. Uh, which is interesting, because I talked about that with Mary uh, when we discussed Mary last month. So, and I look at and look at Joseph, and I, I try to see how he would compare to a father today, being a man of honor and accepting a wife that at that time would have been considered a dishonorable marriage because she was 
pregnant when they got married, the pride as a father and pre presenting your son to the church, the concern of a father in, in taking his family out of the country to uh, save their lives, basically. And then the more familial concern with your kid has wandered off and now you've got to go find him. As a parent, you know, your kid just kind of disappears and now you got to go track them down, um, which I've, I've been through, take the kids to the carnival or, or to something else. And they decided, Hey, I want to go over here and don't necessarily tell you that they did that. And then you got to, you're, you're looking frantically trying to find them. And then when you find them, they're like, well, you knew I'd be over here because this is what I like. <laughs> so, so I guess, so what does the church how, do, how does the church look upon St. Joseph and, 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 and those themes? So what, so what you're right, um, Scott, what we have, what we know about St. Joseph, uh, we could say comes to us from two sources. First of all, the scriptures. I mean, you did an excellent job of telling us those four moments when we um, hear about St. Joseph and the scriptures. Um, at most especially, I think, with regards to his birth, uh, we hear a lot um, of, from St. Matthew's Gospel in the first chapters, talking about the um, infancy of Jesus and how his birth came about and, and Joseph and his famous dreams. But we also have some information that comes to us from outside of what we call extra canonical texts, some other texts that are very historical, go back to the time of the Gospels. But for various reasons, the Church Fathers didn't include these texts in the sacred scriptures but they're still part of our tradition and, and some of the things that the faithful are not obliged to believe about Joseph, but, but tell us some things that we have kind of incorporated into this, uh, into our understanding of who Joseph is. For example, um, there is a tradition that um, Joseph was a widower and that he had other children um, whose names are and actually included in other texts that are outside of the gospels. The faithful are not obliged to believe that, but but if that's true, that tells us some things that we might want to know about Joseph, that, you know, even though he'd been married before and had children, there was something that drew him to this relationship with the Blessed Mother, whether it was for her protection and to provide for her, or whether it was some sort of affection that they shared for each other. We don't know. Um, but it's possible that that tells us something about Joseph, too. Um, there's um, a miracle account of how the Holy Spirit was involved in choosing a spouse for the Blessed Mother uh, that involves Joseph's walking staff and how um, after being prayed over with other staffs from other suitors to the Blessed Mother, uh, Joseph's broke into blossoms. And so very often you'll see statues and pictures of St. Joseph holding a staff that has blossoms on it, flowers, uh, because of that account of the miracle that was that took place in helping to find a husband for the Blessed Mother. Um, so we do have some of these other stories that come to us from other sources outside the scriptures. Again, we don't hold them in the same way we hold the accounts in the scriptures, but we do see those different traditions about Joseph creeping into our knowledge of who he is and what he represents. Okay. Um, so when you look at that, then you say, okay, so then what can we learn about St. Joseph from all these different accounts. And, um, you know, we could look at each one of these in turn, each of these, these four moments in the scriptures that you mentioned where Joseph is um, talked about. 
But one of the things that's really important, and, and one of the things that anybody who spends even just a few minutes studying about St. Joseph will quickly realize, we don't have one single recorded word of this great husband of the Blessed Mother and foster father of Jesus, not a single one. Um, so what we have to, uh, what we can reflect on about St. Joseph is his actions uh, more than his words. Okay. Um, and, and when I think about St. Joseph, that's one of the things I usually talk about are what are the things that we can learn from him? One of them is actions speak louder than words. Oh. Um, his actions speak volumes about how we see him. You know, the, um, the church, the popes have named him all different kinds of titles they've given to St. Joseph over the years. Patron of the universal church, protector of working men, patron of social justice, St. Joseph the worker, uh, whose feast day we just uh, celebrated a few a few days ago, putting him as the um, in the Eucharistic prayer. Our holy fathers have really reflected a lot about who Saint Joseph is, and one of the things they always do is they think of him by his actions. And so, one of those actions is, of course, that every time he understood the Lord was speaking to him, he got up and did exactly what God asked him to do. Some of us, if we were asked by the Lord to do something, we might have excuses. Uh, there's prophets historically in the Old Testament who try to come with all kinds of excuses. Moses, um, Jeremiah, uh, try to come with excuses why they weren't good enough. Joseph never says anything like that. Joseph never ex exhibits any hesitation in doing what God wants him to do. There's never any debating with him. Well, how should I know this? And why should I do that? And Joseph just gets up and does what he's told to do. And so those actions are really, really important. I heard a classification one time comparing um, men to horses, Joseph is a Clydesdale. He's not showy. He's not a worker. Or, I mean, he's, he's just a worker. He's not showy. He's a worker. He's not a Lippenzahner. That's all show and doesn't get any work done. Sure. <laughs> Joseph is, is the Clydesdale of, of, of the holy men. And I think that that's really important. That it, What a great example to all of us. We don't have to have the fancy words. We don't have to have all the book learning. We don't have to have um, uh, anything important to say. Uh, we're just asked to do. God sometimes just gives us the gifts that he gives us. And maybe those, those gifts are for faithfulness. Maybe those gifts are for um, hard work. Maybe those gifts are for providing for our loved ones. We don't have to have the fancy words to be holy. And St. Joseph's a mar marvelous example of that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I did have one thought that kind of crossed my mind. and. Sure. Maybe it's just a idle thought, but, you know, I, I find it interesting that Joseph was a carpenter, a man who worked with wood uh, as a craftsman, and then his son, well, adopted son, Jesus, is hung on a wooden cross. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, that's just kind of a, maybe a throwback from God to say, yep, you know, here's a little point I'm going to throw your way. Uh, yeah. The uh, actual word that's used in the Greek original text is tekton. And tekton um, can be interpreted as carpenter and making things out of wood, like a house builder, like a mm -hmm. carpenter who builds homes. Could also be a person who works in stone. Ah, okay. Um, and so because in, in, in Palestine, um, in um, Galilee and in Bethlehem, there's a whole lot of rock. Um, sure. Sometimes there's not a whole lot of trees, but there's always a whole lot of rock. So I think it was a person who 
was um, called and gifted by God to, to work in various medium, but certainly to see that connection between um, the wood of Joseph working as a carpenter, the wood of the manger that Jesus would have been laid in. Um, there's uh, a church in Rome, St. Mary Major, that has the actual crib of Jesus, and it's, it's made out of wood. Um, and then, of course, the wood of the cross, um, seeing that connection all the way through um, Jesus's earthly life and, and the connection with Joseph there is, is a good connection. Well, Father, we're running out of time. Okay. So I do appreciate you spending the time to talk to me today about St. Joseph. Uh, hopefully we can talk more about him this year and uh, definitely want to keep him in mind because obviously he was part of the Holy Family and obviously someone who listened to God and followed what God asked him to do, which is what we should all do. Amen. We, um, one last thing I'll make a note is my middle name is Joseph. Oh. Um, and I was named for my Sicilian grandfather. His middle name was Joseph too. And that's a custom among Sicilians. But I, So I've always had a devotion to St. Joseph ever since I was a child. Uh, and I pray to St. Joseph every day. So whether we're husbands and fathers like St. Joseph in the natural order, or even those of us who are fathers in a supernatural way, um, spiritual fathers, um, there's, there's St. Joseph has something he can teach all of us and something we can all emulate uh, from his life. Excellent. Well, Father, again, thank you so much for speaking with us today and look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. God bless you. Carl Kaiser continues his Marian series and introduces us to Our Lady of La Salle. This is Carl Kaiser with a Marian moment. You've heard of Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Lourdes. But have you heard of Our Lady of La Salette? On September 19, 1846, Maximine Girard and Melanie Calva went up a hill near the small village of La Salette in the French Alps. There at the top of the hill, they saw a lady on her knees crying. They walked up to her and asked, Madame, what troubles you? And she lifted up her eyes and she was recognized immediately as our Blessed Mother. She said, I weep for my children who do not respect Mass on Sunday, who use my son's name in vain, and who have no respect for the priests and for the Sabbath. She went on to explain in further detail and at the end of her speech, she gave them each a secret, which they were to reveal only after a 10-year wait, and then only reveal it to their local bishop or the Holy Father, who at the time was Pope Pius IX. The message of Our Lady of La Salette basically revolves around saying the rosary reverently, going to Mass on Sunday, and avoiding coarse talk, especially when is using her son's name as an epithet or using the Lord's name in vain. And that is the story of Our Lady of La Salette. The ongoing stress and uncertainty of the past year had us all wrestling with how to cope. 
How do we put all of the death and suffering into perspective? For the answer, we need to step into the breach. Into the Breach is an online video series produced by the Knights of Columbus, available for viewing at kfc.org. Suffering is often misunderstood. It can easily move us to selfishness or being so focused on ourselves that we can't think of others. And it is a challenge for anyone who suffers. To teach men what it really means to love, I will have people look at a crucifix and see Jesus hanging there. I'll say, look at his hands. As Christians, we talk about the cross, but when it becomes real in our lives, when there's real suffering, that's a particular place in the spiritual life. It's the center of the battle. Fear, doubt, despair, uneasiness. But when we live it and embrace it and you let Jesus into it, there is a strength there that stabilizes us. And what the cross says, there is nothing the world has that overcomes his presence in our lives. God's answer to our suffering is himself. That's his answer. Jesus coming among us, taking the sin of the world upon himself, dying for it, and rising to new life. A lot of men only live 35, 40% of their life. The other 60%, what do they do? Just put up with life. Because they're not having a great day. They're not getting what they want. They, uh, they're sick. They didn't get the raise, whatever. They're, they're suffering. They're just sort of putting up with it. I think if a man understands Jesus and understands redemptive suffering, uh, a man will realize that I can live 100% of my life. It's virtue that comes from suffering. What kind of virtue? Patience, fortitude, humility, compassion, wisdom, understanding, the ability to love. Now, if we're just going through life serving our best interests, we never learn how to love. Anytime we serve each other, we are suffering in a way, giving up our time, giving up our focus and energy for someone else. We are then gaining virtue. It's like a boot camp for the soul. And we see this in people who accept suffering and embrace it in union with Christ. Um, and if we, if we just take the time to notice people in our life who do that, who embrace suffering with meaning and with courage, I, I think we'll see ourselves and be inspired ourselves to try to do the same. We often don't want to ask why when there's sufferings. Why this death? Why this illness, this cancer, or whatever it is? My encouragement and that suffering is to invite Jesus into it and let him show us the answer. Jesus, come into this suffering. Jesus, come into it and you walk me through. You walk me to the solution. Maggie, from the time she was born, was full of life. She was always so excited about her faith, but it was, it was a childlike faith. Our daughter, Gabrielle, got sick. We knew just in our experience of having five children that if one gets sick, everybody's eventually gonna get sick. But after a full week went by, we were a little concerned about Magdalene because everybody had gotten better except for her. She was vomiting and she was losing quite a bit of weight. 
and she was also having headaches. My wife called me at three o'clock, pretty hysterical. She said, Maggie blacked out. And as I'm about 10 minutes away from the hospital, I'm crying out to God and I'm, I'm saying to him, God, if, uh, if my daughter dies tonight, I will never surrender my faith. Christ is risen. I got to the hospital and immediately you see our daughter. She is non-responsive. And when the neurosurgeon comes back, he has a very concerned look on his face and he tells us that she has a very large mass and that it's uh, outgrowing itself and it's bleeding, that they have to drill a hole in her head to relieve the pressure. So Father anointed her with the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, a great gift given to us by the Lord. And then we prayed a Divine Mercy Chaplet together. It was very much an agony, an agony in the garden. Take this cup for me. And I stood at my daughter's side and I just cried. Because my little princess was going to die. I gathered everybody in the room and I said to everybody as I stood there with my missile open, the devil waves a gun around that has no bullets. And there is no victory for the devil here. What you're looking at here is a trophy of the kingdom of God. And then I led everybody in the recitation of the Gloria and Excelsis Deo. And in that moment when my daughter was dying, that's how I chose, that's how the Spirit led me to face that reality with worship of the triune God. It took 27 and a half hours from the time she was awake to the time she breathed her last breath. I thought that I would be the one to show my children how to die like a Christian. And instead, the child shows me how to die. I think the lasting gift that, uh, that Maggie has left to us is the gift of supernatural joy, that as we live this life, uh, we are to smile and so when my daughter passed, the Holy Spirit supernaturally took over me and my wife. When the crucifixion of Jesus manifests itself in your life, the devil will be there to say, see, he's dead. And our response has to be, no, he's not. Christ is risen indeed. In the midst of suffering, you worship God. And that's the way in which you embrace your suffering. And as you embrace that suffering, it makes you stronger. Jesus has given to all of us our own cross. We each have our own cross. But our suffering is not without purpose. Jesus' suffering was not just arbitrary suffering. It was not random suffering. There was a, a very specific purpose to his suffering. It was redemptive. And so our suffering, if we embrace it, it shares in that meaning and that purpose. My daughter, she lived a life that was wisely designed by an all-wise God. He took her in such a way that he would be glorified. If I were not to tell people that, it would be like putting a lamp under a basket. 
The ten years of my daughter and the way in which she died is the workmanship of an all-good God. And I think that my daughter's death and the death of all of God's people, it says that to the world. Suffering is the way the world was redeemed. Jesus took on human flesh through the Virgin Mary in order to die for us on the cross. So suffering has deep, deep meaning, deep, deep meaning. And if we discover that through the great gift of our faith, it puts us in a position to help others discover the value of suffering. Suffering is difficult, but what the message of the cross communicates is a kind of love that is ready to give everything unto death all the way including suffering and if that's the plan that god has enacted and unfolded on our behalf to offer himself through the suffering of the cross then that opens up a new path uh, for all of us see a possibility of uniting yourself to christ with a readiness to suffer and now your suffering isn't meaningless it's still painful but now in a certain way it's encompassed within and given over to the mystery of God's redemption. When Jesus says, come and follow me, he's saying, leave everything behind and know that, you know what, you're going to go through hardships. You're going to go through persecutions. You're going to go through insults. So for me as a Catholic and as a Christian, um, I know I, I, I didn't become a follower of Jesus to get a get out hell free card or a happy Jesus pass through life. I know that as a follower of Jesus, like, I became a follower because I fell in love. I fell in love with Christ. And I know sometimes that's going to mean carrying my cross. When we suffer, we can identify with Christ because he suffered for us. So when I suffer, when I go through hard times, I feel like I'm closest with Christ. Christ suffered immensely, so he's redeemed it. Which means that suffering now, good can come from suffering. And the Lord allows good. The Lord draws good from that. Suffering can, can teach us to be detached from our will. It gives us an opportunity to say, Lord, I don't like this. This is not fun, but I trust in you. And I know that you're going to bring good from this. So I'm surrendering my will to yours. The other way that suffering can help us is by detaching us from things. It, it helps us understand what is the most important thing in life. It, it allows us an opportunity to let our will be unified to God's will. Right, which is significant when we talk about ultimately our call is to love. Right? No greater thing is this than a man who lays down his life for his friends. Archbishop Fulton Sheen said one of the reasons that we are so afraid of suffering is that we don't practice for it. The reason that we are afraid of dying is we don't practice for it. If the only time that you're going to experience dying is on that final day, it will scare the life out of you. But if you have been practicing all these years, buffeting your body, dying to yourself on a daily basis, putting your family first, when you get ready to take those last breaths, been there, done this. You have lived a life of sacrifice. And one of the greatest fears that men have is the fear of death. But for us, it will be the victory because the greatest victory we have known in the world was the cross. And a man can be triumphant if he knows what to do with his suffering. 
Night Vision is a presentation of the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus and Catholic Radio Indy. Contributors for this episode include Scott Schutte, Walt Pahan, and Bob Zielinski. Night Vision is produced by Z Media Studios in South Bend, Indiana.